welcome to the Tales of Osteopathy students with me, Chelsea, and my good friend, Pee. How are you doing, Pee? Hello. It's like such a weird, like, habitual, like, comfort zone sound, that introduction. But I'm like, who? Mm. <laughs> yes, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm full of beans yes. this afternoon. Ooh, ooh, full ooh, of beans. beans. Or putty pois. Mm. No. Your favourite? That's peas. Yes. Boo. <laughs> I just had a bowl of cooked peas for lunch because I was like, yes. Why? That's the worst thing. That's like literally a bowl of nightmares. No. Sometimes I eat them frozen, so. That's even worse. That's even <laughs> They're great. <laughs> Tasty. <laughs> no, thank you. No. no. Thank Anyways, you. moving along. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited that it is episode 50. Five, zero. We have done 50 podcasts. Crazy times. Yeah. How many did we think we've almost got to, though? (laughs) Yeah. The other week, we were walking through the halls at uni, you know, going to like, we must be, we must have done over 100 by now. (laughs) Must have. No, just got to 50. (laughs) (laughs) Just. We've only been doing it for a fucking year. Uh, Funny, isn't it? Funny, isn't it? Funny. You've been a busy girl. Funny humans. Yeah, lots going on at the moment. Mm. But good good lots. Things all moving in the right direction. Yeah. Um, Doing lots of things. Getting a lot of stuff done. Eating lots of cake. And uh, having nice times. (laughs) <laughs> done any, I'm trying to think of any trying to think of anything fun that I've done eating cake is fun with, what are you talking yeah, about definitely, definitely I've been working with a lot of pregnant women recently Ooh. which has been fun yeah that's very fun it turns out I've got a very soothing voice apparently you do so, have a soothing voice yeah. when I'm not kind of squealing on this podcast <laughs> yeah I feel like podcast aside I'm sure actually lots of people who listen to this think that I think people probably will be able to tell the difference between your voice and mine because mine's the annoying one. Yours is the very soothing one. Oh, no. See, I get told that um, they can't tell the difference between us a lot. What do you mean? Someone's like, I lose track of which one's Chelsea and which one's V. Huh. So weird, isn't it? Hmm. I feel like you have a much nicer voice. I don't know. I I feel like you've got a very nice voice. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> nice voices together. Yeah, um, you do have times. like a when you do yoga, you have a your Chelsea yoga voice. So mm. I bet that would be really soothing if you were a pregnant um, person and just like, oh, I just need to chill. I've had many a people fall asleep in my yoga classes, mm. um, especially if I do like a guided meditation bit at the end. Oh yeah. Um, I've had to, the way to wake people up, turns out, is you, you wiggle their big toe. Huh. So I've had to wiggle many a toe in my time. And it's just <laughs> like, but it's, it's difficult because obviously it's nice that people have fallen asleep, but at the same time they're like, oh my God, I've just fallen asleep. Was I snoring? Did I talk? Have I made yeah. a noise? You know, they feel really uncomfortable at the end. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, don't worry. You know, Do you think we can apply this to other areas of where people are sleeping? Like, you know, when that person next to you falls asleep on the train and you're like, fuck, what if they miss their stop? It'll be a real bummer. Do you think wiggling their mm. big toe? I ain't fucking touching anyone's ch- toe on the cheek <laughs> or on a train, ever. ever. I think it would be such a cool way to wake somebody up. Because I don't want to <laughs> touch people at the moment. 
like over yeah. the last year, like when I'm on the train, mm. it's like I don't want to have to touch you, and I don't think they want a stranger touching them to wake them up. But mm. so maybe just picking up a shoelace and giving their foot a wiggle. <laughs> yeah, maybe like just giving it a good <laughs> fucking wiggle. get up. When I'm in yoga, when I'm in yoga classes, I've got sound effect because you can't see it. That wasn't a very good sound effect. Plastic no, gloves. <laughs> Ready for your examination? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh dear. Gynecology office. <laughs> mm. Everyone's favourite trip. Yes. Everyone's fave. Yeah. How are you doing, dude? What have you been up to this last week? What have I been up to? I've just been working quite a lot. Um, quite a lot. And um what have I been doing? Fuck, I don't know, you know. <laughs> I don't know, you know. Um, I've been reading some really good books, actually. been reading a really good book um, by Helen Fry called MI9, and it's a history of the Secret Service for Escape and Evasion in World War II. Very cool, interesting, exciting Very times. good. My favourite sort mm. of, if it's not crime psychology-based, mm. I do love that sort of thing. So mm. that's really cool. And I love that it's true stories. And I've also mm. been listening to a really good audio book um, yeah. called Rivers of London by yeah. someone, Aranovich. And it's so good. It's really good. Nice. I highly recommend. Nice. Yeah. I was doing some yoga the other day and noticed because like, I've got my bookshelf like in front of me when I do it. There's a book that I bought ages ago that I haven't read yet. And I was like... I need to. I think it was recommended, I think, by Johnny in our Being in Our oh, yeah. Path class at the Existentialist Cafe. I think I've heard of that. Who? What's the author's name? Sarah Bakewell. Nice. So it's Freedom Being and Apricot Cocktails. So it's Paris near the turn of 1932 to three. Three young friends meet over apricot cocktails on the route. Some, on a street somewhere in in, in uh, Paris. <laughs> I'm not going to try yeah. and even attempt to pronounce. They are Jean-Paul Sartre, Simone de Beauvoir, and their friend Raymond Aron, who opened their eyes to a radical new way of thinking. Ooh, that sounds cool. And I love the sound of apricot cocktails, even though it sounds just like peach snaps, essentially. Yeah. Oh, I want an apricot cocktail. We, we haven't had a cocktail together for a really long time. <laughs> oh, have a cocktail. man. The most basic of bitch instincts in me fucking loves cocktails. I just love them. Fucking love cocktails. They're love so them. good. Love a And cocktail. I can't make them at home as well as they do. And there's something special about them in a bar. That mm. A lot of training as well. Yeah. A lot of training true. to get there to do it well. That's true. Yeah. Speaking of which. Yeah. Oh, what a fucking great sound. I have the baby. <laughs> <gasps> yeah i'm so I'm jealous very rarely drink in the middle of the week you know i'm not a huge even though i talk about i feel like i talk about i've got quite a lot i don't actually drink that much but i really i've these were on deal and i really wanted a beer it's a beaver town neck oil ipa oh, such a good beer such mm. a good beer fucking love beer i don't have alcoholic beverages i'm jealous i've got our, our pal that gets us through, I'd say, a lot of uni mm. weekends, which is the Khalifa. Is it the Khalifa? Is that how you say it? Khalifa? Mm. Whatever. The vegan well almond cold brew mocha coffee. Delicious. And I've also got a caffeine-free vanilla chai. Oh, nice. 
Nice enough. Which is very good. Very, very good. Mm. Very good. No snacks for me today because um, I'm going to have dinner after this. Yeah, me too. I'm making Thai. So, still Black History Month. Mm-hmm. And V, you've got some more very exciting, exciting things to talk to us about today, haven't you? Very, very exciting. We've both mm. spoken about um, the person who is the star of this medical story time today because we love her story the impact she had and the work she did and the work ethic she had was incredible and everybody needs to know about her and I find it very frustrating as somebody who did an adult nursing course so has heard a lot about Florence Nightingale as amazing as she was that not enough people know about Mary Seacole, who was her Mm. peer at the time and equal in all of the amazing contributions she made as a nurse. So we're going to be talking about Mary Seacole today. Are you ready? I'm so ready, because I know little bits and bobs about Mary Seacole. Mm -hmm. Once listened to an audiobook called A History of Britain in 21 Women, and Mary Seacole was in that, which is cool. That's very cool. I don't know a huge amount about it, so I'd love to know, very excited to know more about some of her achievements, successes, Mm -hmm. and just wonderfulness that she did. Mary Seacole. So Mm -hmm. Mary Seacole was a pioneering nurse, a heroine, so amazing, of the Crimean Mm. War. And although her reputation at the time rivaled that of Florence Nightingale, her great work in nursing has essentially been almost forgotten about, which is Mm. like the biggest, biggest shame. And I really want to highlight her today and her amazing work. So she was born in Kingston, Jamaica in 1805 as Mary Jane Grant, as the daughter of a Scottish soldier who was a soldier in the British Army and a Jamaican nurse and healer. And at the time, Jamaica was a British colony, along with other Caribbean colonies, and became a focus of the slave trade for the ever-expanding British Empire. So there was lots of British soldiers around the area at the time. Mm. So being of mixed race, Mary was technically born free. However, her family enjoyed very few civil rights. And from an early age, Mary really, like, was awestruck by her mother and was a huge role model of hers. Um, And she showed a huge interest in medicine, learning her skills from her mother, who ran a well-respected boarding house called Blundell Hall, which cared for injured soldiers. Her mother's nickname by these soldiers was the Doctoress. Love that. Which is fucking cool, isn't it? She was also a healer who used traditional Caribbean remedies to help cure the sick, as well as some more contemporary medicine skills of the time. So many of these skills were passed on to Mary, who was enjoying refining her craft on her toy doll that she had as a child. Cute. Very cute. Um, And she writes about this in her autobiography. So she says, it was very natural that I should inherit her tastes. And so I had from early youth a yearning for medical knowledge and practice, which never deserted me. And as I was very young, when I began to make use of the little knowledge I had acquired from watching my mother upon great sufferer, my doll, (laughs) and whatever disease was most prevalent in Kingston, be sure my poor doll soon contracted it and was treated. So I love that little insight into what she was like as a child because it's like to have like such an inclination and a passion for something as a young Mm. child is 
so incredible to see where like she started from and where she progressed onto in later in her life. It wasn't long before a young Mary was helping her mother run Blundell Hall and by the time she was a teenager she had also discovered another great passion of hers that became a huge part of her life which was travelling. So after making two trips to London, where she spent a total of three years acquiring further knowledge of more modern European style medicine, Mary ventured to the Bahamas, Cuba and Haiti. In 1826, she returned to Jamaica to nurse her patroness, an elderly woman who'd given her financial support to do her travels and further training too. So in 1836, she married an Englishman called Edwin Horatio Hamilton Seacole. Horatio is a great name, by the way. Let's bring that great back. Great name. What was that? Edwin Horatio Hamilton Seacole. Yeah. Wow. Quite the name. Yeah, so they set up a provision store in southwest Jamaica, which eventually did fail to prosper. Um, and uh, sadly, a series of disasters then befell Mary. And in 1843, most of Blundell Hall burnt down in a fire. And in 1844, um, not long after she married him, Edwin passed away after becoming ill. And then Mary's mother then died a short while later. So that's mm. a huge amount of grief and trauma to have to deal with. Mm. But in response to this, Mary threw herself into her work, rebuilding her family's boarding house and renaming it New Blundell Hall. And in 1850, Jamaica relied on her skills as the country suffered a huge cholera outbreak that saw um, around 32,000 um, people lose their lives to the deadly disease. Oh. So she was really crucial in the efforts to help during this outbreak. And a year later, Mary travelled to Panama to visit her brother, Edward, who lived in a town called Cruces? Cruxes? Something along the line of that. Mm. And shortly after arriving, um, the town suffered its own outbreak of cholera. And Mary, in fact, treated the town's very first patient back to full health. And subsequently, she garnered loads of reputation among the locals and a lot of respect. And as the disease spread, more people flocked to Mary's aid. And she treated them with a mixture of mustard emetics, mustard plasters and the laxative calomel which I thought was really interesting mm. to see that sort of, because I've never heard of, I have heard of mustard emetics, but not of mustard plasters. Mm. So Mary actually eventually succumbed to this disease herself, forcing her to rest up for several weeks, which it sounds like from her personality would have been the most difficult thing for her to do. I relate to that a lot. I, I, I was like, that, hmm, that sounds like somebody I know, Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> so after those several weeks in 1853, she arrived home in Jamaica, having been given a really fond send-off by the Panaman, Panamanian locals. I'm going to go with Panamanian locals. And her skills that she um, acquired over that were immediately in need as soon as she stepped on home soil, as the country was being ravaged by a yellow fever epidemic. Jamaican medical authorities asked her to help victims of the outbreak, as well as supervising nursing services at Up Park Camp, which was the headquarters for the British Army at the time. The outbreak, however, was so severe that Mary found out that she couldn't do 
that much for him. During this time, she worked with lots of British soldiers and formed really great friendships and bonds with lots of them. She reports in her autobiography. And this essentially is the like foundation reason for her when she heard that war was breaking out with Russia, that she wanted to go because she knew that lots of the same soldiers would be heading there soon and they would need her help and her medical skills. So shortly after the Crimean War began in October 1853, Mary made her way to London on her own. Conga. Which is like 1853, a woman on her own, let alone um, somebody who is black as well. There must have been mm. so many difficulties and obstacles in her way. Yeah. Doing that. Mm. Thousands of soldiers um, would die from disease and the unsanitary conditions of the hospitals there when during the Crimean War. Um, and the war secretary, Sidney Herbert, quickly asked Florence Nightingale to gather a team of nurses together and head to the Crimea to help improve the situation for the sick and wounded. So when Mary Seacole arrived in England, most of the nurses had left, but she applied to the war office in the hope of going out in a second wave. And they were extremely racist, which was probably mm. very typical of the time. And they actually rejected her application, ignoring her extensive experience and excellent references, which is just like, are you fucking joking me? Like the amount of work mm. that she's already done with epidemics and outbreaks and working with British soldiers already. And apparently she'd had loads of references from British soldiers and commanders back in Jamaica as wow. well. So they'd completely ignored mm. that. So she again faced opposition towards her attempts to reach the Crimea after both the Crimean Fund and the companions of Florence Nightingale refused to accept her help. So like even mm. the people who were working with Florence Nightingale, nurses themselves, were rejecting her which must have been like the hugest slap in the face ever. Yeah. She says, the disappointment seemed a cruel one. I was so conscious of the unselfishness of the motives which induced me to leave England. So certain of the service I could render it among the sick soldiery. And yet I found it so difficult to convince others of these facts. Mary wrote this in her autobiography. Was it possible that American prejudices against colour had some root here? Did these ladies shrink from accepting my aid because my blood flowed beneath a somewhat duskier skin than theirs? Oh. So that's just one of the examples of the many prejudices Mary had to overcome in her life. Um, and the racist motivations of those holding her back only strengthened her resolve, which I just think is mm. one of the things... I think is so special and so admirable about her is that during this time it must have been so difficult for her and she had so much skill and so much perseverance. I just think she's amazing. Mm. Because she was both rejected by the war office and by the nurses themselves that were working with Florence Nightingale, Mary decided to fund her own way to the Crimea. Wow. The little money that she had from her work in mm. Jamaica and in Panama and other countries, she decided to use to fund her way to the Crimea on her own and travel on her own too. Go on, go. Yeah. So en route, she stopped at the military hospital at Scutari, where Florence Nightingale was based before moving on closer to the fighting. Forming a partnership with Thomas Day, a friend and relative of her late husband, the pair established the British Hotel Mir 
near Balaclava, the British bridgehead into Crimea. The establishment was opened in March 1855 and Mary described it as a mess table and comfortable quarters for sick and convalescent officers. And I missed this out in my notes, but the where I got my information from, which is various places, lots of the references and resources mentioned how much she wanted to both treat medically but also to provide like a safe place and a comfortable place mm. for soldiers and she knew that that was a huge part of them being able to do the best job was her providing them a safe place so she wasn't only just a medical professional she also was mm. really concerned with the mental and emotional welfare of her patients too so she often visited the troops to sell them provisions, deliver sick rations or attend the wounded. The latter happening even under fire. So she was going out during battle too. And the soldiers fondly named her Mother Seacole, her presence providing yeah. an indispensable boost to morale. A writer for The Times, a war correspondent called William Howard Russell, was dead keen on interviewing Mary Seacole <laughs> and getting information from her because they'd already started hearing quite a lot about her back in England mm. too. And he describes her as warm and successful physician whose doctors and cures all manner of men with extraordinary success. She is always in attendance near the battlefield to aid the wounded as and has earned many a poor fellow's blessing. So after Sevastopol, fell in September 1855, Mary found herself the first woman to step foot into the city. So she was the first per like woman in there and ready to treat more people too. And when peace on the Crimean Peninsula finally came in 1856, Mary found herself in a really tricky financial position. So she'd gone there under the whole of her own steam and then obviously hadn't been earning any money out there because she'd set this business up with the hospital the british hospital with a friend of hers mm. too so it was all under her own steam so as the soldiers left for home mary struggled to shift her stores of provisions too because she didn't want to waste any of them and eventually she left for england with little to no money to her name at all wow. but although she was essentially penniless now mm. Mary had become a household name back in England as much as Florence Nightingale was. Her financial plight was highlighted in the press and fundraising efforts were made to help Mary, including a four-day military festival held in her honour. Amazing. Yeah, I know. So, so cool. So this festival was held at the Royal Surrey Gardens in 1857 and the event was said to have attracted between 40,000 to 80,000 people, <gasps> including royalty. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so cool. How cool. I've never heard Love about that. that as well. No, I didn't know that. Really, really cool. So the same year, Mary released her autobiography entitled Wonderful Adventures of Mrs. Seacole in, Mary, in Many Lands. Mm. Um, and it was the first autobiography ever written by a black woman in Britain as well. William Howard Russell, her friend from the Times, just wrote so many like glowing pieces about her and quotes from soldiers and from people who worked around her as well. Um, he provided the preface from the, for the autobiography, writing, I have witnessed her devotion and her courage, and I trust that England will never forget one who has nursed her sick who sought out her wounded to aid and secure them and who performed the last offices for some of her illustrious dead. So she passed away in 1881 
and apart from the statue of Mary Seacole at the entrance of St Thomas Hospital in London, we've essentially lost so much information about Mary Seacole mm. and she is not a household name as much as someone like Florence Nightingale is. And that's why I really wanted yeah. to cover some of her life today in the medical story mm. time. Yeah, amazing. She's an incredible human, absolutely incredible human. And it, it is like, it's sad, like, like you just said in that quote, that it's just like, I trust that England will never forget someone that took care of their sick. And it's like, generally, that's the sort of thing that English people love, right? They love, yeah. you know celebrating heroes from the war and um the nhs and you know celebrating all those sort of things and she fits like all of those categories yet she's been kind of lost to the pages of history a little bit mm. yeah and mm. i just think that I, i'm not deterring from the amazing things that florence nightingale achieved but mm. so many it was so much was written about mary seacole and florence nightingale and both mm. of them had enormous impacts on how nursing works today and mm. huge huge um contributions to the war effort and to nursing and yet only one is remembered and she's white yeah so i think it's it's something that i really feel like we should be shouting mary seacole's name from the treetops <laughs> from the buildings yeah, absolutely. everywhere yeah yeah Let's do it. Mary Seacole! If you would like to let us know of anyone else you think that we should cover in medical story time or any alternative therapies or stuff like that, stuff that you know that we would love and you think they haven't covered this, maybe they don't know, let us know. Email us at double T double O S podcast at gmail.com or you can direct message us on any of the social medias. It's at double T double O S podcast. And you can also follow along our more frequent activities yes. too. Yes, do it. Drop us a message. Send us all the things. Share the love. Share the love about Mary Seacole. Spread yeah. it far and wide. Do Tell it. everyone about it. Yes. yes. Awesome. Have an amazing week, everyone. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.